This is Coda Radio, episode 203 for May 2nd, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the recently successfully forked Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello there, Michael. Hello, Mr. Fisher. Hello, Proud Papa. How is everyone doing over there? Everyone is good. Uh, currently, we are in the middle of a nap time. <laughs> I noticed so, you got that hushed tone a little bit. It's that, that <laughs> you know, that hiding in the basement sort of. Yeah, uh, yeah. don't make a noise. We got a couple hours here to sleep before it's going to be feeding time, and then everything's chaos again. Oh yeah. God. So have you gotten like a few late nights? I know I, that was my big thing is uh, because I was already sort of a late night owl as it was when it came time to stay up late with Dylan or something. Put him in the sling, go work for a while, and stay up to like 1, 2 in the morning working. Have you been doing a few of those? Yeah, um, me and Dracula are on the same schedule. <laughs> like. Yikes. Yeah, so uh, we have, though, I guess in some ways benefited from your late night expeditions because the show doc is packed. It's packed full packed. of stuff today. We have a ton of stuff in the show notes to cover. Everything from uh, us top, us top, top of the show feedback all the way down to... Uh, looking at the future of software running everywhere and anywhere, and maybe some Linux switching follow-up towards the end. Maybe, if I if we have enough time. I don't want to overdo it this week. But there is a little follow-up if we have time for I, it. I think, I think we'll make it. But. There's a lot. There is a lot to cover. So do you want to start with uh, this programming rant that was sent into the show by uh, Orbital Seafear? Or Cipher? Yeah, I'm just going to, uh, real quick, um, you know, a little discussion about OO versus uh, functional. And it's a great post to our subreddit, though I, if you look at the comments, didn't necessarily agree with him. <laughs> the, but the thing I think he's reacting to, and I'm not going to restate his whole argument, I would encourage you to go to the subreddit to read it, um, is there is a difference between, well, this is the argument I hope he really was making, that functional programming has itself become a buzzword and therefore is being sold, um, you know, in a way that's not really appropriate. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't have a point about all of it just being syntactical sugar over imperative programming, which is uh, not really correct. Uh, but there's a really good conversation in there about it. I definitely agree with the the perhaps broader but somewhat vaguer point about you know functional programming is a tool that solves a certain set of problems probably better than OO. But that doesn't mean everything needs to be functional tomorrow, right? And it doesn't mean that everything should be functional. Um, a great a great place where this is going on is actually in the .NET space. You have F Sharp, which is Microsoft's super functional, you know, I'm a data scientist language, right? But they also have C Sharp, which is adopting some functional mm-hmm. uh, features, but is still very much an object-oriented language. Mm-hmm. So... You know, yeah. it strikes me something you said there, uh, and it's actually I think it was as probably a point of the discussion. Uh, the way something sort of becomes marketed, and then it becomes like a brand almost. And I and I'm using brand really super roughly here, 
But uh, it happened a lot in 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 my areas of IT as well. Is that there is a there is a thing or a, or, or a concept that sort of becomes. Um, general knowledge, and by the time it reaches general knowledge, it has almost no meaning at all. Uh, another good example of this would be like the meaning of 4G on your cell phone. Uh, LTE spec really was going to be, you know, they, they came up with LTE as, as a continuing generation, uh, evolving technology because they couldn't actually get to the original speeds that 4G was supposed to be. So 4G, by the time it actually made it to consumers, had a completely different meaning. It was just branding for get you a new phone. And, and there's, there's concepts that are core technologies or core functions that have very specific meanings that by the time enough people seem to know about it, it almost can be used as a way to lure uh, the the less uh, critical thinkers into just, oh, that's a great idea because it's got, and then insert buzzword yeah. here. Or it has, or it is, and and then, oh, well, it is based on, or something like that, and then boom. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, sure. And then... Well, I, yeah, and I, and I would also um, add to that, you know, one of the dangers, particularly when we're talking about functional programming, seems to be that, of course, the textbook definition, there are functional languages and there are OO language. Um, but in practice for what I would say 99.99% of the developers listening to this are doing, it's a spectrum, right? So for instance, even freaking Java has, is now adopting some functional stuff, very little, right? But Scala has a lot more functional stuff, but it's still technically an OO language. So, and it, and when I say technically, I mean, it is absolutely an OO language. I have a couple of, I have a couple of points of order that I wanted to bounce off you from his feedback just briefly, because a couple of like closing paragraphs, which I thought were kind of thought provoking. He says, modular design is actually a result of using great frameworks and less about the language, uh, with exception of uh, everything written in Java and PHP is terrible. Great frameworks help you build code with an expandable structure. So what do you think about modular design, modular program design being actually a result of just choosing a great framework? And then that great framework is helping you build code that's expandable or scalable. You know, I'm not sure that it's um, necessarily the framework itself, right? Obviously, picking a good framework will help. Um, for instance, you know, Ruby on Rails, the problem it originally solved was having more organized web, web applications, right, using the MVC model. But that doesn't mean that there's not a bunch of Rails spaghetti code out there, too. Um, I think it's another way of saying. I think it is another way of saying right tool for the right job. Well, it's right tool for the right job, but there's actually a much broader point. Um, you can also I, you can also torpedo yourself early on by picking the wrong framework. Well, it it doesn't matter what framework you pick, right? Or, or whether you're trying to be OO or um, functional, if you don't actually invest the time in uh, software architecture, systems design, things like mm, that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something that I particularly have struggled with um, you know when you're working with a lot of startups cowboy coding tends to be the day because no one wants to pay for documentation <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it is something that you know i've literally more and more i'm starting to get to the point where if you don't develop some sort of software architecture documents you're probably going to waste a lot of time reworking and refactoring that you don't need to boy isn't that and a good that, reality check yeah, and that's independent of what framework you choose. Now, if you choose something crappy or if you try to apply, you know, OO um, patterns to a job that's more functional or vice versa, functional patterns to a more OO job, I th- obviously you have problems, right? I mean, it's like it's the right tool for the right job. But there, there's a there's a point, and I think on this show particularly we don't cover it enough about doing your damn homework. And it's really not a good idea to, you know, go command space Xcode file new or Android Studio new, right? Whatever your IDE of choice is, <laughs> and just start coding. 
rant over. Emacs. Uh, so oh, uh, on the on the line of reality checks and uh, things like that. So there is something that I sometimes try to underplay just because I don't want to be offensive. But I sometimes I, I, I listen and I read some of the feedback and we talk about things and I, st- I can't help but come at it from a very practical uh, uh sysadmin style perspective and I look at some of this stuff and I go, well, this is obviously uh, programmer self-delusion. Um, and, 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 I, and I don't mean to be so harsh, but there is a little bit of that. I, I feel like sometimes I come at this for, as an outsider with an outsider's perspective and I can say, you guys are, are being a little ridiculous here. Uh, here's what I mean. <clears throat> he says, I personally believe the reason for this recent chatter is languages for languages like Go, Rust, and Swift is because they are looking to establish themselves, and the best way to do that is demonize their current big players. I'm going to stop right there. It, it almost implies that like there's this grand conspiracy at play to promote the, the agenda or propaganda of Swift rust or go like they have a dark organization behind them that is out um pushing agendas forward on the net about their advantages and demonizing the other languages and it it i don't this this line of thinking it seems very boxed into me it feels very like uh well my my idea my solution is so right that there must be a concentrated effort to intentionally demonize what I like because it's so obviously it's great. And that to me feels that feels like the beginning of self-rationalization about your choices and the beginning of shutting down your perspectives of maybe finding newer and better technologies. You know, I'm actually going to defend the original poster here a little bit. I think you're right to a point that you know his argument about hating I mean, part of his argument is factually wrong that it's all syntactical sugar, but let's just ignore that because you know, maybe that's not what he meant in the heat of the moment. He said the wrong thing. Um, there is, you know, frankly, it's annoying, right, to have some quantifiable experience. But, you know, let's look at my swift hate, right? It's because I have a decade of Objective C experience, yeah, right? And, yeah. it, and it and it kind of diminishes any any competitive advantage I would have. Um, and maybe I'm projecting onto this fellow, but. My feeling from reading his post, and, and tell me if you agree, is that he feels like his skills or his um, his knowledge is somewhat being degraded, right? Yeah, and I think he's also right to a degree because he says just to ensure that this sound, this post sounds adequately trendy, I'm going to throw in some buzzwords: Scrum, Agile, OOP, Functional, O, and of course, Viral. Like uh, he's right to some degree too. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to completely underplay what he's saying. There is a certain hype factor to Rust and Swift and Go, uh, but definitely Rust and Swift. But I don't know if it's necessarily unjustified either. So right, I'm going to put him on the couch and I'll put myself with him. <laughs> we have to suck it up, right? Like, like really, we may think that you know our former interns are simply wrong, right? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You can't fight the tide. So, of course, using functional programming, using these new technologies for no reason is not optimal and is frankly stupid. But the reality is that part of technology is marketing. And, you know, sitting there and digging in your heels like a little mule and saying, I'm never going to do Swift. I'm never going to look at functional concepts. I'm never going to do this or that or Agile or whatever, you know, whatever your pet peeve of the day is, is probably not the best choice. Mm. Yeah, boy, you are really right about the the really hard. I feel like when you say it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Like uh, for our, for example, our poster here, uh, Orbital Sefer, 
or Saphir, whatever. <clears throat> Could be 100% right. It just almost doesn't even matter, though, because the force of the market moves forward regardless if that's the direction it's going. And I feel like that's a lesson you've learned uh, the hard way in some cases. Well, I mean, you can look at feedback on recent shows, right? <laughs> I mean, the reality is you can't, you know, if you're going to be a developer, particularly like a consultant developer, where you have to go sell yourself, you can certainly question the new trendiness, right? And you can be a voice urging caution. But at some point, you have to fold. You know, if, let me, let's make it real, right? If Apple does not say, oh, and we're dropping Swift in, on June 13th, which is my birthday, by the way, which oh. would be a great present. That's their uh, <laughs> WWDC yeah. day. Yeah, that's what's good. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mr. Dominic. Right. I, I would literally have no choice but to fold and say, okay, well, you know, from today on, anything new is all Swift. Because, you, you know, we look at this where, you know, I like Objective-C. You may like some older technologies, too, um, just based on our age. But remember the old VB guys, <laughs> right? You know, I remember taking a crap on PHP people, too. This is a cycle. And once you hit a certain age or certain years of experience, you know, you're, it's every five years, right? Your stuff becomes old. And that's the way it is. Hmm. You know, I'm going to take a moment and uh, mention Linux Academy, linuxacademy.com slash coders. This is a great place to go to keep your skills fresh. And what you can really rely about with Linux Academy is the people behind it are passionate about this technology. So they're following this whole area. It's, it's Linux Academy and it's everything about Linux, all of the basics, all the advanced concepts, and then all of the technologies built on top of it. Development on top of the Linux platform, as you know, is getting, well, you might say, slightly popular. You might say there's a few people that are deploying cloud servers that run Linux, and you might say it is a good skill set to have. These are all things you could possibly say. Well, guess what? LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, that's the place to go. You got to go to coders slash coders to give this show here credit. Keep us on the air. They have 2,379. Might as well just call it 2,380. Might as well just call it because you know it's going to be that soon. They're rolling out content all the time. They've increased their staff to make their old content fresh and relevant and keep it updated, which is a major investment. They have seven-plus distributions you get to choose from, scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of everyday common tasks, which is very nice for confidence building. And they spin up the virtual servers as you need them, and they match the courseware that you chose. So if you chose for your courseware Debian or you chose Ubuntu or CentOS – They'll spin up the virtual server to match that so your environment stays consistent. They have graded server exercises, which are genius. They give you nice lab environments. So you SSH into this sucker, and then you begin a specific courseware. They'll grade you as you go, give you feedback, give you notes, detailed study guides to download. You can keep yourself. Live events that really help you because you can interact with the instructor and ask them questions. And, of course, instructor mentoring is available when you need it, which is outrageously a big deal for this kind of courseware. Been thinking about getting into Python development or Ruby. Maybe just to spite Mike, you want to try out a little PHP. They've got courseware on all of it. <laughs> and Android development, especially especially a great way to learn the any of the Amazon Web Services stuff. And a nice way to do it where you're not going to be surprised by a bill or something like that. Just comes as part of the courseware. Check them out, linuxacademy.com slash coders. A bunch of great technology. They have an availability planner if you don't have a lot of spare time or you just have a kind of a complicated schedule. Trust me, I know what that's like. They can accommodate that. In-depth resources that become yours, a library of information, a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting community members. Oh, 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 go to linuxacademy.com 
slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mr. Dominic, we are living in the future. It's, I officially am starting to feel like it's the future. Like when I have uh, when I have cars that I can just call up on demand, it, it feels it's beginning. It is nigh. Uber feels like something of a harbinger. I say it's time to invest. Everybody spend money. This thing's going all the way up. Nothing could go wrong. Right, Mr. Dominic? I just want to say, called it, bitches. <laughs> Wait a second here. Hold on a second. Get out of here. And I, I also, I might as well give you a little... Uh, inappropriate? There you go. There you go. Yeah. I can't hear the soundboard at all. Oh, just really? Oh, how about now? Inappropriate? There, there. Nope. Turn it up. Ah, oh, well, basically, it's an inappropriate. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, it, right, does, so, it literally does not matter. <laughs> so my rule of thumb for tech is once it's in the Wall Street Journal... Uh-huh, yeah. It's now history. Oh, Meaning because it's, it's so happened. obvious that the Wall Street Journal is covering it? Right. it? <laughs> it's like, you know, somebody reporting that someone died right after the funeral. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the tech bubble is bursting. And I don't want to talk about this for too long, but I've been calling this for a while. Um, some on-hands experience dealing with potential clients who are looking for funding in the New York area. Did you hear that? Dang. I did hear that. Yeah, there we go. Was, I fixed it. There was uh, there's just not a lot of capital to be had. So you're seeing like a drying up of funds? Well, I'm seeing where tech investing is becoming like everything else. Great. Go pop open your 401k or your savings. Make a proof of concept. Get some customers. Get some revenue. And then come back with some metrics. Rather than you being able to go in. You know, in 2009, you could go in with a PowerPoint, a pack of juicy fruit, and get a million dollar valuation. Now we're in a different world, which, which is um, you know probably a function of the market maturing, particularly from old apps. But also, you know, Uber it cannot possibly be worth six point two five billion dollars. Yeah. Okay. So to that point specifically, yeah. uh, venture capitalist Bill, I'm going to say Gurley, <laughs> I don't know, of Benchmark, that's the, one of the firms, described this phenomenon at length. And here's a tricky thing that they're doing, and uh, it's funny if you've watched the uh, TV show Silicon Valley. This is in there. Uh, it's a dirty term. It's dirty term sheets. They allow some companies to continue raising money at higher valuations by promising bigger payoffs to new investors. So each time they get a round of investing, now all of a sudden they're valued at this new amount that the investors are willing to go in, and then they can go to the next round of investors. Will say, "Look, we were valued at this, and now we've done this much work, so now we should be valued at this." And they're they're essentially floating that to each round of investors. At a certain point, of course, uh, that bill comes due. And then, of course, some of these companies have major burn rates, which gets them into trouble very fast. So they have almost a cat- catastrophic downward shift once they hit a red line. Uh, investors who have been burned at one company will be more reluctant to support higher valuations elsewhere. As word spreads through the venture community, other investors will return, and then they become cautious as well. They say venture investing is like any other market, torn between greed and fear. Yeah. <clears throat> the fear cycle is where we are living right now. Um, and the, and the Wall Street Journal shows like uh, Dropbox, for example, uh, Cloudera, um, Uber, and they're all showing the different um, trends that are in place. So, do you think this really has any impact on somebody like you, who's in a sort of? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay, really? Oh, okay. this is a huge impact on me. Even though you so, wouldn't say, even so, you're not necessarily going out to get VC funding because now that means your customers who be getting funding. Is that what it is? You know, this is um, yeah. So if you, when you're when your customer base is suffering, it's not great for you. Okay, yeah. Though I'm so happy that I pivoted to larger, more business-oriented customers. So do you think? 
I mean, really. Yeah, I, so when I hear this, I think, though, it also in some ways, though, doesn't it sort of fundamentally prove that your your method of bootstrap it myself uh, and make a lifestyle business that's can, that I can get as big as possible without having to go to funding? Doesn't that sort of say that long term you're making the right bet, even if it means your customers are going to be suffering short term? So, so – and I do want to get off this quickly because we have a ton to cover, but I just finished a book called Disrupted um, by Dan, uh, I think it's Lyons is how you say it, Yep. which it covers this exact thing. Everybody should read it. It's on Kindle. It's like 11 bucks. The The main point he makes, other than laughing at crazy valley culture, is that the game you and I are in, which is you know making a profit every month or every quarter so we can pay our bills, feed our kids, things like that, is not the same game that VC-funded startups are in. They're in the game of inflating valuations beyond what they're actually getting in revenue to have, you know, an exit, right, to IPO or to get new funding or, you know, one thing that you often don't hear about too much is that usually in later stages of funding or even in a Series A, the founders will actually get a little bit of a payout. Right. So they don't really need the company to be sustainable at that point. Um, That's not always true, and I don't mean to denigrate all founders. It's just something that does happen um, you know, for instance, your business is by, by definition profitable, right? Unless you have some giant line of credit that, mm. you know, that I don't know about. No, no. Uh, although, you know, some days it, I think about it because we have, we have uh, a building work that we need to do, which is, you know, right. starts at $10,000. Right. You know, but your, let's say your profit a year is like a hundred thousand dollars. VC, uh, VCs would rather you have a billion dollar or a million dollar loss than a hundred dollar profit because mm-hmm. what's the Russ Hanneman quote from Silicon Valley? Oh no, no numbers. That's measurable. Right. It'll never be enough. <laughs> yeah. That's and it's also for them too, they're playing at a bigger level where they're sometimes they're buying up uh, a potential future market and so they're willing to invest in several companies in a certain area and to them it's one of many things that they have in the pot. It's a very distorted market, right? It's, it's not about what these companies are really worth as businesses in the traditional sense. It's what are their shares worth that another investor will theoretically pay later. Um, well, you know, that, yeah. I guess we could also – it's a topic to, to, to uh, Simran because it's going to be going in this direction more. Maybe we can talk about it in the future if we have – Yeah. But I know uh, you have been spending a few late nights thinking about – Bots, bum bum bum, and you know it's funny. I've been thinking about bots lately too, and even though oh, I know right. we just recently talked a little about it on the show, uh, it's sort of sort of taken on a new life with you. What's going on over there? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago. I've been playing around with the Microsoft Bot Framework. I have a little bit of like a I don't want to call it a full review, but let's call it a micro review or first love impressions. Love it. I love it. Um, a couple things I overlooked the first time we talked about it. So you can write your bot in C Sharp or Node.js, i.e. JavaScript, huh. which is interesting. Um, it is actually possible, and I have done it, to develop your bot on Mac or Linux via the command line using any editor you want, right? Hmm. So the difference there is you don't have the tooling. So Microsoft has a nice GUI interface built into Visual hmm. Studio <laughs> that lets you do your debugging. Um, but, you know, then you're using Visual Studio. Another interesting thing is if you go to that GitHub page, um, I had a very brief conversation with some of the developers on it and some people having uh, some trouble in the, in the, quote, bot community. You can actually use Mono instead of uh, uh, .NET proper. 
for the C-sharp side of it, which I thought was really interesting. Okay, okay. So uh, what would be the advantage of that? Is it because that's more of it? Is that because that's what's available to, on, to the Mac platform and the Linux platform? Why would so you remember, do that? The Microsoft Bot framework actually requires you to be running a web service somewhere. Um, and if you scroll down there, you'll actually see that it is totally possible to run a Linux web server with Mono running on it as your Microsoft Bot server. Huh. So think about a DO droplet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's nice. And that yeah. seems much more approachable to how people deploy software in the cloud. Well, and it seems much more realistic, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Phase. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right now my current setup is I'm, I'm actually using Visual Studio Code um, to develop a, a prototype bot in C-sharp on my Mac. Just trying to get my feet wet. Not sure I'm going to stick with Microsoft's bot framework. So um, when, you say, when you say you're developing a bot, is this, something, is this something you intend to actually interact directly with another human being as the user interface? Or is it something that's going to take, take, take place on the back end and take care of things? Like what, what kind of bot are you talking about? So I talked about it some on uh, uh, the last show we were live on. Basically, a front-level support bot is what I'm trying to do. Okay. All right. Wow, yeah. man. That is pretty ambitious, i got to say. I was yeah, reading, it's a, you know, it it's, seems it's like there's a, a lot of bots yeah. that are in production today that uh, we don't even realize are really bots, but it's because they pretty much work on the back end taking care of stuff. And that almost seems like a slam dunk because you can have a bunch of great functionality uh, with something that just takes very simple commands maybe from an operator. But it's something that has to interact with human beings. There's a lot to parse there. Well, one thing I will give the, the Microsoft framework is they have a lot of built-in plugins that make that a little easier. Um, if you cared about Skype, it would be even better. Unfortunately, I don't. Hmm. So the, the advantage for Microsoft is, here, we're going to give you these bots. We're going to give you some of the stuff to work on these bots. Well, they give you these plugins, right? So think of it as interaction layers, right? Oh, they give you and the advantage Slack, to them you know. is what? Maybe you'll integrate with Skype? Is that their... Is well, that the advantage to them is it makes it easier. Yeah. Right, so if you if you already have these prepackaged libraries you can use, you you'll save time. Um, the concerns so far that I'm having with it, you know, it absolutely positively works on Mac and Linux. V- Visual Studio is still the first class citizen here. So Windows, right? Which is just uh, we'll t- if we get to it, we'll talk about it more. Is just not my ideal dev environment. <laughs> I don't. I, I worry about um, lagging support. Right. I also worry about the mono project. What is going to happen to the mono project? Because that's a pretty severe dependency to have. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it. I think in episode like it was like seventeen. We talked about dependencies. You know, with the .NET Core now being open source officially from Microsoft, I'm not sure that I would want to base anything on mono. If if uh... right now it works, but. If if they were to say phase it out, don't you imagine there would be somewhat of an obvious transition to whatever? Yeah, my my hope is that at some point it'll be a swap replacement, right? Yeah, where you just remove the mono dependency and you put in the .NET Core dependency. It seems um, like the open source community could even take care of that. Yeah, I mean, to to Microsoft's credit, they've been fairly good at, at working with the community right there on GitHub. So, okay, I, I want to ask you uh, just I know not to over not to over uh, stretch this point, but the chat room is asking if if Cortana or Siri were introduced today at let's say WWDC in June or whatever Google I/O they announced Google Now today, would we not just call that a bot? Would we call that a, we I think we would call that a bot, wouldn't we? 
in, in today's I think in today's we parlance. Would. You know, it's funny because I'm um, I'm not sure how you define bot correctly. Um, there there was this article I just read about you know apps versus bots. I don't think bot is its own standalone thing. I think a bot is a support module to either you know physical, i.e., human services, or you know other technological services, right? Um, Cortana, in my opinion, is definitely a bot. I mean, how could she not be? Um, I've used Siri plenty. I use Google Now all the time. They seem very bot-like, although Google Now has kind of fallen off for whatever reason. Um, you know, the one that doesn't really fit the pattern for me yet is I, I'm taking a brief look at the Facebook Messenger platform, their quote-unquote bot framework. Hmm. That seems much less... Um, on the other hand, it's much less ambitious than the Microsoft or uh, some of the other efforts we're going to talk about. In less ambitious? Uh, how so? Well, you know, the the Microsoft and the other framework I'm looking at, it's a bot, which is a open source bot framework written in Golang, which I've also done a prototype in, and it's, it's really nice. To be honest, I didn't think I'd like Golang as much as I do, but we'll talk about that on the next topic. It, you know, they're, they're just bots in the cloud, quote unquote, that can have interfaces anywhere. They can have interfaces on email, uh, voice, Slack, which is of particular interest to me, and um, really anything you could write an integration to, right? For my purposes, hockey app, um, any of these kind of customer-facing portals, where the Facebook Messenger, the technology is very impressive. It's, you know, I forgot the name of the company that they acqui-hired, but it's wit.ai, natural language processing. It's got a lot of really cool advanced features, but it's so tied to the Facebook platform that I'm not sure that that doesn't limit it in a in a pretty significant way, especially when you're thinking about you know enterprise use, right? I can see Facebook uh, getting a lot of traction with Messenger and stuff built right into your Facebook feed over time. I could actually see that even being simpler. I could still see getting a lot of attention. It was just is that the right user base? That'd be maybe the question, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see myself, you know, asking the Facebook bot to help me schedule a party, right, or or a you know a pub trivia night. I just can't see me having my customers interact with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be really good to you know, especially a bot for setting up like a like a party meeting or something like that. That's a oof. That'd be really that could be really cool. Uh, so, can I tell you just briefly how we're using bots? Go ahead. Uh, and and then we'll we'll move forward. Uh, so uh, it's it's for us bots have been a part of Jupiter Broadcasting for years and years and years because we came at it as an IRC tool that uh, have we've, we've been playing with different iterations of them for a long time. And then, you know, at some point, several years ago, uh, JBot was created, an open source project that does things like title suggestions or quotes from hosts or uh, a calendar, tells you when the calendar is. You can get mumble information on the mumble server. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of queries that you can query in our chat room as a chat question, and JBot will answer you. Um, including like just like silly stuff like a like a like an uh, like a magic eight ball kind of a thing where you can ask it questions. And over time, we started adding more functionality like bang suggest to title suggestion, which nobody in the damn chat room is doing right now, guys. We need titles. Uh, and then we, you know, and that integrated into a voting page where you would bang suggest, and then JBot would grab that title and add it to a a, a voting page, and people could go vote. And then we and you then we decide well we would be nice if we could officially start and stop the shows for these voting so then we added the capability of JBot to officially start and stop shows for voting and then we added additional streaming capabilities 
recently, and we're still working on the final uh, code for this, but we added two new DigitalOcean droplets, <clears throat> SATCOM 1 and SATCOM 2, that stream out to a bunch of different endpoints now. So now we're live on YouTube, for example, and other ones. And we are working on JBot so that when I do that start show command to start the votes, to open the voting, it will, on the back end, use the DigitalOcean API to spin up the SATCOM 2 DigitalOcean droplet, which then sends it to all of the endpoints that we don't stream to 24-7. We have some destinations like jblive.tv and Ustream TV where we're live 24-7. And then we have some destinations where the audience like doesn't know, does not expect you to be live all the time, and it's weird for you to be live when you're not actually live. So, <laughs> so we don't stream to those places all the time, and that's SATCOM 2. And using the API on the back end, we're just using JBot as an interface to talk to that API. And so when I start the show, it'll go start the voting, and it'll spin up the SATCOM 2 DigitalOcean droplet, and boom, we go live. And then when I end the show and, and close voting for the day, for that episode, SATCOM 2 spins down using, again, the API. Uh, and so for us, bots have always been a part of life because they've just been a part of IRC. And IRC, as you can see, uh, if you watch the video version of the show, is closely integrated yeah. into the production of our shows. So bots have been around for a while in that sense. And... It's just now there's more and more functionalities becoming available to them in another in, in some sense. Like now we can integrate it with a, an API that allows us to turn an Ubuntu box on and off remotely in a, in a data center in San Francisco. <laughs> that is right. really like, cool. You know, that well, is- it, 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 yeah, it's also important to, to kind of note bots place and quote, you know, tech hype history. Right. They're coming after <laughs> apps, which were very visual, very designer focused. Mm-hmm. Bots are almost a sort of anti UI. Right, they're a reaction against that. Right, yeah. they're a um, you know they're they're back to the command line. They're a text interface. Now that text may also now be a speech interface instead of just IRC um, or Slack or whatever other text uh, tool you're using. But I think people I, I, who own an Amazon Echo, and I do not have one, but people who own one will tell you that it, that 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 sort of high level of accuracy voice interaction. Is, is is a total new future UI. It is it is a UI on its own. How you interact with it is a UI. It's just a different kind of user interface. And, you know, there is so much hype around bots, too, that you don't want to get swept up in that. Like, uh, VentureBeat says the $200 billion chatbot disruption. They just posted that yesterday. You know, a lot of people are going to write a lot of stupid bots. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of bots with bad names. Like uh, that, right. like that uh, bot that Microsoft wrote that Whatever it was, Tay. Yeah, yeah. Tay. Yeah, I thought, I yeah. thought so. Uh, so. So before we before we jump off of the bots, mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the it's a bot framework. It's okay. uh, written in GoLang. The interface is in GoLang. I am now. I've spent less time with it than I have the uh, Microsoft bot framework, but it's really a very close, very strong contender um, to the point where I'm actually still evaluating it against the Microsoft framework. Hmm. I, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, by how appropriate Go is actually for this sort of task. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to talk more about Go we in are, just a moment. We are, before, yeah. we, before we move on, because while we're still semi-bot related, I did mention them. I'll mention uh, DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and support this show by using our promo code CODERDIGITAL. That's one word, lowercase. All smashed together. Coder Digital will give you a $10 credit. You can spin up a rig yourself and try them out. Now, there are go-to Linux infrastructure on demand. They have Ubuntu 16.04 rigs ready to go right now. It's been out for just a few days, and they're right on top of that. In fact, they have great tutorials, too. So even if you're going to deploy a machine and you're not totally up to snuff on how to manage it, 
really good documentation. Here's one on Let's Encrypt, uh, how to secure Nginx with Let's Encrypt. Here's a one that's just what's new with Ubuntu 16.04. One of the things that's really nice about DigitalOcean, if you're an expert or a beginner, you're going to love their interface. Oh, it's good. It's really, really well done. Very powerful, yet very straightforward. And you heard me talk about their API just a few minutes ago in the show. They have a great straightforward API that they iterate and they make as a full feature set just just like their interface is a full-featured interface, their API is a full-featured interface. And in fact, it's not just the stuff we're writing. There's tons of good open-source code, including their uh, doc, their, uh, their command line, docctl, I think, or doctl, a command line interface for your DigitalOcean droplets. So you can go all the way from one of the best UIs or the best UI in the business to the command line. It's, it's so cool. You can spin up machines with Nginx and Ubuntu and Docker ready to go, entire application stack, or just the bare system. They even have free BSD, and they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. I love that interface, though. You can check it out by going to digitalocean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL in less than 55 seconds with pricing starting at $5 a month. Man, that's nuts. For $5 a month, 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSDs, all up the lineup. The pricing is, is super straightforward. Comes with a blazing fast CPU and a terabyte. <laughs> a freaking terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean.com for your next project, for your next experimentation, for your next production server. You can spin up a few, spin up a bunch, check out that private networking to have back end servers, a great way to save on bandwidth and have secure back end servers with maybe. A, a front proxy or a front web server with a back private database, nice, secure, private networking available, backup snapshots. It's fantastic. Over at DigitalOcean, DigitalOcean.com, just use that promo code Coder Digital, so you get a $10 credit, and we get credit for your visit. DigitalOcean.com, and thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mr. Dominic, you've had some time with Go, and you didn't go. <laughs> yes, That's awful, I'm yes, sorry. indeed. So... You, you may remember uh, about four or five months back, whatever it was, I was fooling around with a BeagleBone Black, which, for those who don't know, is kind of a Raspberry Pi Arduino oh, yeah. alternative. Yeah, a beloved one in our community, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, big fan. A little expensive, though. Um, I decided to give something called a GoBot a go. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? Which is a framework for developing, let's call them maker projects. Um, but very confusing actual robots, right? Because we talked about software bots, now we're talking about, you know, quote-unquote gadget bots. The reason for that was pretty simple. They actually have drivers and uh, support for the BeagleBone Black, which is the piece of hardware I have sitting on my desk. And I found it to be really interesting. Um, You know, I've had this kind of maker project that I've been wanting to do for a while, um, I tried to do it with the, uh, JVM, which, eh, you know, not the way to go, right? Not terrible, but it didn't take well. I, it felt very foreign. Um, just not, not the right tool for the job, I think. And before we jump too far into the Go stuff, of course, Python is, you know, an option mm-hmm. that's very popular. Um, I specifically wanted to try something more new, uh, because I am a curmudgeon. And I'm trying to be less of a curmudgeon. <laughs> you're just curmudgeon. You're just you're just trying to get me to play this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah it's exactly curmudgeon. So the GoBot framework is interesting in a couple ways. One, it is compatible with not just the BeagleBone, but it's actually compatible with Arduino, Raspberry Pi, um, and a whole bunch of other standards. It is, I believe, open source. Um, 
I could get you the license, but just look it up. Uh, is that a GoBot.io? Is that uh, GoBot.io? Yeah. That's exactly. Yes. Right. GoBot is a framework yeah. for robotics, physical computing, and the Internet of Things written in the Go programming language. Yes, you guessed it. You guessed it. Yes. Yeah, and it's up on the GitHub's, and I can look into the licensing if you want while you uh, talk about it. Yeah, know. go ahead and look. Wow, into the wow, look at that. Look at yeah. that. They're also targeting, uh, well, of course, Internet of Things. That makes sense, but they're targeting drones. Uh, not too surprisingly, they have a Atari joystick on here, the Leap Motion, the Pebble Watch, the Raspberry Pi. Was, yeah, that's one of the main things that was attractive to me for it. Um, it's kind of a multi-purpose framework for yeah. these type of IoT projects. Yeah. And it's even. got uh, 17 GPIO drivers ready to go. Yep, yep. And we should also note for people who aren't interested in the Go language that the same vendor also has, again, for free, um, Project Cylon, and which is a JavaScript uh, sister project to this. Yeah. And Project R2, which is spelled A-R-T-O-O, which is a Ruby alternative to this. There are some differences in what they do and don't support and what devices they do and don't have drivers for. But all in all, they look pretty high quality. I've only played with the Go one myself. Looks like it's Apache licensed. At least uh, some of the okay. modules and stuff that I'm looking at are Apache licensed. So, Yeah, yeah. That, make, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about this, Chris, is... You know, we were just talking about software bots, and a usage I have in mind for that type of project would really go well together with an actual quote-unquote IoT device or, you know, a real bot, right? Why couldn't the software bot be like a manager or a supervisor to a bunch of little IoT devices? Hmm. Explain to me, son. Explain to me. Let me explain. So this, really these software bots like the Microsoft bot framework, it's a bot, all live in the cloud, right? So theoretically, to communicate with them and for them to communicate with any other devices, all they need is an open connection. Right. Um, obviously, I hope you encrypt it. But um, there's no reason that you couldn't have a bunch of little, you know, and, I'm, and it could be silly things, right? A coffee-making, coffee-timing bot that communicates with your bot in the cloud, your personal assistant, and tells it, okay, time to brew coffee. Yeah, I, I could definitely, I could see this. Uh, and in this uh, is sort of like, is, your, is it your master? Is it one master bot that controls all the devices? Uh, is it? That's what I would be thinking. Almost like a, uh, you know, let's go super sci-fi here, like a Jarvis type thing, right? Where you know there is one. I hate to use the buzzword, buzzword, but like you know, AI assistant. That is controlling all of these uh, small, low cost, which is the key, uh, little gadgets in your house. So, are you familiar with the Mycroft device? Mycroft. What is the My? Mycroft AI. Uh, Mycroft is uh, it's a Kickstarter. Uh, I think I backed it. Um, we've talked a lot about it on Linux Unplugged, but it is an open source. Um, Amazon Echo, Siri, Cortana, Google Now type competitor. Uh, they had, but what's cool about it is because it's open source, now the Mycroft hardware bot itself, like the little device, is Raspberry Pi based. But all of the bot intelligence, all of the intent parsing, all of the language processing is all open source code that runs on Linux. And so they have versions where you have it on Ubuntu desktop and you can pull up Mycroft like you do Cortana. They have a version that runs on a VPS. They have a version that runs on the Raspberry Pi. And uh, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty slick little project. Um, I won't, I won't tell, t- say too much about it because I've talked about it a lot in other shows. But here's a, here's a, little, a little bit about it. Sarah, it's time to wake up. 
the weather in Lawrence is 73 and sunny. It will be warm today with a 10% chance of rain. Minecraft, start some coffee will you? Minecraft, connect to Alice's room. So they have I a, love the Linux penguin. Yeah, so they have here, a, you know, an example of it working at, in a in a piece of hardware. But uh, the, really, to do this, uh, you have to have it um, run as software on Linux. And they already have it. They already have it working with things that have like obvious APIs, like Hugh Phillips and the Wii, the Wii Motion stuff and uh, uh, Smart Things. And they ha- already have it connecting to things like Chromecast and Dropbox and. Spotify and Plex and all of that stuff and Roku and so they already have like a lot of this working. But what I what I I'm not actually it's funny I'm not super excited about the little hardware device. I I could use a hardware device as a front end client to something like you're talking about. I have a server up in the cloud that is running the central Mycroft engine that is aware of all of my devices across my studio, my home, maybe even my vehicle and my mobile devices, right? And it can manage all of these things. Well, and you're already carrying a hardware device that has the microphone and the processing power to do this and the constant connection. It's called your damn cell phone. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you don't need – and in fact, if you have an Android wearable, we, could, we don't even need it. So there's, there's no – well, I, 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 this Mycroft thing is very similar to what I'm thinking of. Um, I think it's a, it's a huge difference to actually require you to put all these little you know, that's, that's more like the Amazon Echo, right? You have to put all these little terminal devices in every room of your yeah, house. Yeah. What I'm thinking is everybody's got their phone strapped to their face anyway all day. That should be the the default management console. So they right? are they are also experimenting with Mycroft integration on Ubuntu Touch. So Mycroft mm-hmm. is the uh, built-in guide there too. Here's, the, here's what I – just one more thing, really cool. They have an adapt intent parser, which is open source code. They have the Mycroft core, which is the technology core and the APIs and all of that. They have the text-to-speech mimic, so if you, you can have it do text-to-speech, obviously, and open speech-to-text. And here's something that's really cool is they're, they're working on making it sound like anybody you really want, uh, which is also kind of a neat trick. Like, uh, here, this is – this was sent to me. This I was going to save this for Linux Unplugged, but because it fits in so perfectly. This was sent to me by Ryan, the CTO – of Mycroft, this is a voice simulation of Popey, who you can hear on Linux Unplugged or the Ubuntu podcast, right. saying that he secretly runs Arch Linux. This is generated by Mycroft. I secretly use Arch Linux. And it, it sounds That's like not a that bad. yeah, it sounds yeah. like a robot too. But at the same time, it also sounds a lot like Popey. It's I secretly what? use Arch Linux. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like he called in on a really crappy connection. Yeah, uh, and I just find that to be this this for for people that maybe want to build their own solution. Um, I secretly use Arch Linux. You could build something around this as a product. I think. Yeah, I think we're and I, and I think it's not five years away. I think it's more than that. We're about to see, and and as a developer focused big change in the default interface for a lot of things we're going to be working on, right? I think a lot of it's going to be speech, you know, uh, computer, what happened, right? Really, I think it's about time we went Captain Picard. <laughs> you're, you're, just, you're just trolling me now at this point, you know? That's no, no, I'm not. I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the first technology in a while. And I don't, and, and to be clear, I don't think this Arduino, uh, Raspberry, I don't know which standard is going to be the right one. 
Um, but these kind of, quote, maker technologies and these bots, I don't think they're separate. I think they're actually – the way the way to get there is a marriage between them, right? You need to have both. Hmm. Computer, this isn't so, what I wanted at all. You're probably, exactly. you're probably, you're probably right. Uh, I think you're going to have – what you're going to have is the closed systems that uh, are very tightly integrated – uh, and have a lot of advanced features for this t- small range of things they do support. And right. then you're going to have like the open systems where you can connect a lot of different systems together via APIs or bots talking to bots or whatever. You know, just one last thing before we go. Uh, Noah had, had just just tickled me to no end uh, when he was out here. We went out to dinner and he got a telemarketing call from one of those telemarketing bots uh, that is, hello, you have won a That's prize. Fantastic. Yeah. And he transferred that call to another bot that he has that is a time waster that pretends to be listening and answering questions based on what the telemarketer says and then intentionally delays them by claiming to have like a B on him. And like all this, like it just drags the conversation out. So it wastes the telemarketer's time. And Mike, it, he put it on speakerphone. We're sitting at dinner and these two bots were talking back and forth, wasting each other's time. It was bot talking to bot, and they had no idea that it was two bots talking to each other because they're so dumb. And it went on for five minutes, and it was one of, it was one of the most hilarious conversations I've ever heard. You know, and I do want to move on to the next topic quickly, but there there is a uh, a, a common I think in every business line of talk where if something bad happens, a customer wants to know what happened, and you're not really sure, so you don't want to tell them yet because you don't you know you especially for publicly traded companies, right? You never want mm-hmm. to. Um, how do we say fan the flames of, of uh, discontent, right? True. Could that not whole PR lady shtick be a bot? That's like, thank you for your call. We are aware. Hell, the power company, right? When a line goes down, we are aware of some customers are experiencing an outage um, and have the nonsense conversation with the person on the phone that all they're doing is just, you know, I don't want to say it, but pacifying them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. really, the power company is never going to give you money off your business. Right. Yeah, there are some definitely some. not going to do anything. Yeah. Comcast isn't going to do anything. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pacifying, uh, how did your, uh, assuming you want to move on, how did your uh, Antigrow shot go that uh, was apparently very heavily recommended to you last week? Yes. So uh, Antigrow did solve the problem. Really? Really? And which However, desktop did you decide? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, before you go there, which desktop did you go with? Um, no. Okay. Actually. Okay. And, and? During my wife's hospital stay, where her laptop was destroyed, <gasps> so it made a lot more sense just to give her the XPS yeah. than to replace it. Aww. So all of those hours spent fiddling with drivers, installing, mm-hmm. uninstalling, it is now, as we speak, being reformatted for Windows 10. So for a brief moment, you were seeing the other the other side of the uh, Linux. Uh, what's it called when the, the pasture is green on the side? You went to the greener grass. You saw Antigros. I'll tell you. I'll also tell you something about that GNOME desktop. Uh, you know, each each distro configures it a little differently, but I've I've managed to whittle it down to a few essential extensions and a configuration that actually works quite well. But it does take a little bit of getting used to. Well, you gave it a shot, Mr. Dominic. You gave it a shot. Maybe there'll be a future. Few few months down the road, maybe this time next year, where life will arrange itself once again. A hardware disaster will strike. <laughs> you know, I, I will say, um, 
I still have a Dell desktop here that runs Linux, but right, yeah, yeah, and that one's still Ubuntu, right? You you haven't you didn't have the Skylake, you didn't because yeah, I didn't yeah. have any problems. It's an old yeah, machine. Yeah, sure, there you go, there you go. I, I don't know. Um, how can I say this? I don't know if the time I put in was worth it. Yeah, yeah, it's too much, yeah. right? It's too much research at this point. Uh, it's funny because I've been watching Leo Laporte do it too, and he really has been enjoying the process this time around of, of trying out different distributions. Like he said, at some point he's got like a, do- a dozen different thumb drives with different distros on them that he's been trying out. And you really, if you go all in and you really spend some time geeking, then you can really get to a place where you're happy with it and you really feel like you got a solution that fits. It's but it is way too much when you're coming into it. It's just way too much. To just straight move over and have your workflow continue without much well, interruption. It, it wasn't even the workflow stuff. A lot of it was like the drivers, right? Like that that's the stuff that um, that really didn't seem seem worth it. But you know having yeah, said know, that, the thing Windows too, ten didn't do much better. The thing too, um, what's really super unfortunate about the Skylake thing is Yeah. In, in honest to God, hand to heart, uh Intel has been really super good about drivers for years now, to the point of which they will literally often have the driver in the Linux kernel before they've even shipped the Intel CPU that the driver's for, or the graphics. Like, they have been so good for so many years, they just really screwed it up with Skylake. And I don't even know the core issue, but it... For for years now, it has been if you have it in all Intel system, you are going to have a trouble-free Linux experience. And that has really been the only requirement. If you walked into any Best Buy or computer store that just sold some piece of crap computer on the shelf, as long as it had mostly Intel parts in it and maybe yeah. NVIDIA graphics, you were 100% good to go. And so this Skylake thing has been a total curveball, and it really sucks that it hits you because it's this driver's issue is an old Linux problem. And it's compounded right now by the state that Ubuntu is in where they're, where they're not necessarily necessarily as aggressive as they used to be in keeping up with the latest kernel and the latest GTKs. And so you're, you're really kind of hitting a, a, a conflux of issues. Welcome to Linux. Yeah. yeah. At some point, I was spending more time fiddling with display drivers um, than I was, you know, actually doing work. So Yeah. And that's just with Intel, that's just that's almost unheard of, really. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. But the Skylake issue will probably be fixed in a few months. So if you do down the road, try to saw, uh, try it again. In fact, it might even I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll work fine when I order an iMac. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of makes me sad that uh, that's but, you know, if that's how it went, that's how it went, I suppose. Well, I'll just wait till they uh, till they combine iOS and Mac OS and they move it all over to an ARM processor. And then I will embrace change with Zen and calm and all desktop apps are written in Swift. All you iOS UI toolkits for everything. Sounds good. Let's do it. (laughs) Mr. Dominic, congratulations to you and yours. I hope everyone stays safe and happy. Where should people follow you on the Twitters throughout the week? Uh, Go to at Dumanuco. There you go. There you go. Get rest, Mr. Dominic. Uh, Take lots of pictures. And uh, and whenever you can get a nap in, even if even if you don't feel like it, just take it, take it. I know. And, I know. and there's a lot of sleeping things they sometimes do at the beginning. Don't let them fool you. Hey, join us live <laughs> over on Mondays. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. Go to radio.reddit.com for content and topics, and jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact for feedback. See you back here next week. 